neuroscience shows your interests can develop over time. So if you are not sure what your interests are, then that's okay because you can develop them. It, it kind of relieves the pressure. You don't have to say, oh, well, I've got to find my passion and then work in that or I'm going to be miserable. You can say, well, I can get a job. I can do what I have to do. I can get through college, but I can just learn and explore. And as I learn more about certain things, maybe I'll develop an interest in that area. That's actually how our brains work. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. Today, we're going to be discussing an important question that's probably something you have thought about uh, throughout your life. I know I have, and that question is this. Do I need to find my dream job in order to be happy at work? Uh, From the time we were little kids, I'm a millennial, by the way. So um, millennials, Gen Z, I think you can relate to this, but we're asked what we want to be when we grow up. We're encouraged to try all the extracurricular activities and pick our favorite or otherwise find our passion. You may have even heard some version of the saying, find out what you love to do and then figure out a way to make money doing it. So there's kind of this sense as we were growing up that um, our life's meaning and purpose is all tied up Um, in what we are, what our job is, even our sense of identity. Because if you notice, a lot of times little kids aren't asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? But what do you want to be? There's this idea that our our job or our career is is really our calling and our purpose in life. And that's why we think, well, if I'm going to be happy, I need my dream job. I don't want my identity, my identity to be stuck in doing something day in and day out that I don't love doing. But is this really the best way to seek happiness at work? Um, And the answer is no, according to research, which is what we're all about here at the Know Why podcast. We like to dive into the research and really see um, what is it saying about the answers that we, the questions that we're asking. Um, So there's actually a name for this, what I was describing a minute ago, this idea that our meaning and our identity is wrapped up in our job. It's called workism. And so I want to talk a little bit about workism first in this episode. Uh, Later, we'll talk about who's affected by workism. We'll talk about what are the ramifications and how it leads to exhaustion and burnout at work. And so if you've ever experienced that, you may want to keep listening. Um, And then we'll go on to talk about how can we find happiness at work? If finding your dream job isn't the key to happiness, then what is? So first, I want to draw your attention to an article that I read um, in The Atlantic. It was actually published a few years ago in 2019 uh, by the author Derek Thompson. Um, And he wrote about what he called the religion of workism and why it's making Americans miserable. Um, And even though it was written a few years ago, I actually think it's more relevant today because as I record this in 2022, we're two years into the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Youngest, younger generations like millennials and Gen Z have been hit hardest 
by job losses amid the pandemic. So this might be actually a really relevant topic for some of you listening. Maybe you're thinking, well, I can't afford to go get that degree that was going to get me my dream job, or I'm having a hard time getting hired at the job that I always wanted, or I'm just having to work this job that I don't really enjoy. So this whole idea of workism is even more relevant today, even though this article was published a few years ago. So Derek Thompson in The Atlantic starts out by showing us who works the longest hours in America. And it might not be who you think. He shows us that it's actually rich men who spend the longest hours at the office these days. And this is odd because in the context of history, it's usually the privileged classes working the least because they could afford it. Uh, people, you know, who had the most advantages in life, they didn't have to work as much. They had they could afford more leisure time. But today it's flip-flopped. The people who can afford to take the most time off work or at least have the best work-life balance are choosing to devote more and more in their life to the workplace. Um, Why is that? Well, here's what Thompson says, and this is a quote. Maybe the logic here isn't economic at all. It's emotional, even spiritual. The best educated and highest earning Americans who can have whatever they want have chosen the office for the same reason devout Christians attend church on Sundays. It's where they feel most themselves. Again, that goes back to that sense of identity um, being tied up in what we do for our job. So if people feel like they're most themselves at work, um, then that's where they're going to spend their time. And it's not just rich men. Uh, Thompson goes on to talk about how, yeah, they kind of started this trend of workism, but it's spreading. And here's another quote. Um, Interesting to me as a working woman. In a 2018 paper on elite universities, Researchers found that for women, the most important benefit of attending a selective college isn't higher wages, but more hours at the office. That's interesting to me um, that the best benefit you get as a woman out of attending one of these elite universities is that you just get to work more, not necessarily that you're going to get paid more. Um, So the quote goes on in a recent Pew Research report on the epidemic of youth anxiety, 95 percent of teens said having a job or career they enjoy would be extremely or very important to them as an adult. This ranked higher than any other priority, including helping other people who are in need or getting married. Finding meaning at work beats family and kindness as the top ambition of today's young people, end quote. Um, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. Wanting to have a job that you enjoy or even work in something in a field that you're passionate about, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to notice these statistics because this isn't just becoming something that people consider. It is the most important thing, more important than being kind, more important than having a family. Um, And this is what our generations and the generations coming after us are saying. As a millennial, I've looked into this for years just out of personal interest and in part of the the work I've done over the years, things I've written about and researched. Um, Millennials value meaning in their work, even over pay sometimes. They want to do a job that they feel like is making a difference in the world. Um, And again, that's not bad. But the idea of workism, where we find our primary meaning as human beings in our jobs that pay us, this is a problem. Um, And why? Well, Thompson in this um, Atlantic article that I've been talking about says, the problem with this gospel, your dream job is out there, so never stop hustling, is that it's a blueprint for spiritual and physical exhaustion. Long hours don't make anybody more productive or creative. They make people stressed, tired, and bitter. Now, I don't know if I've ever heard a more relevant quote for the time that we're in, but I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, Spiritual and physical exhaustion, 
Now, we are seeing rates of depression and anxiety and burnout skyrocket during the pandemic, but it's not just pandemic related. That's been happening for years leading up to it. So people are worn out. And and we've seen over and over again through research, which Thompson cites in his article, that there's kind of the sweet spot with uh, working hours and, and what how people get the most uh, productivity and creativity out of their efforts. Um, and we know that if you go over that sweet spot and you start working, you know, overworking, which is a real problem in America, you're you don't the payout isn't worth it. You get less creative. Uh, people are actually less productive. It hurts companies over time. But people we, we if it's if our sense of identity is wrapped up in what we do for work, then we think, well, the better I'm a better person if I'm working overtime, if I'm spending more and more time at the office. But this is not making people happy. Now, this doesn't mean that, okay, if my dream job isn't the key to happiness, I guess I just have to work a job that I'm miserable at or that I think is really boring for the rest of my life. Um, and no, that's that's not what we're talking about. So there is it is important um, when you look at what makes people happy in life to have a job that you can find meaning in and enjoy. But it's not necessarily about a fixed passion that you have to go and chase. That's the difference. It's how do you find that meaning in work? And that's going to bring us to some other articles and research here. Um, And so we have to really rethink our preconceived notions about interests and passions. So there's something called this fixed theory related to passions and interests that You are just born with interests in certain areas. Um, That's what you're passionate about. And people who know this, they base their whole lives around it, even starting in school. You know, in high school, you preparing um, with some of the electives and the classes that you do or the extracurriculars you participate in to try to get into a specific college and a specific degree program that's in the one field that you're passionate about, all with the goal of getting a job in that field when you graduate. Um, and so we we form our whole lives around this idea. But some people, they don't know what they're passionate about. Maybe they've tried different uh, extracurricular activities. Maybe nothing really sticks out to them or they just think, I don't have a passion or an interest. But they view it as this object out there that they've got to go and find. And so life becomes this scavenger hunt where they are just searching for what is my passion as if it's something that they're just going to find one day. So in another Atlantic article about why chasing your passions is a bad idea, there's a quote from Greg Walton. He's an associate professor of psychology at Stanford, and he combats this fixed theory idea. Um, He says, if passions are things found fully formed and your job is to look around the world for your passion, it's a crazy thought. It doesn't reflect the way I or my students, again, he's a professor at Stanford, experience school, where you go to a class and have a lecture or conversation and you think, that's interesting. It's it's through a process of investment and development that you can develop an abiding passion in a field. Um, Another problem with the fixed theory is that you think, oh, if I work in my passion, if I, you know, find a way to make money doing what I love, Uh, to use that kind of saying again that we hear a lot, people think they'll have endless motivation to do their job. But that's not reality. Every job has boring parts. Every job has kind of these mind-numbing tasks that we have to do, the paperwork, whatever. Every job has bad days. And so people, they get into their field, whatever they think they're passionate about. um, And if they think they're just, their passions are what they are and they can't change, then they'll get really discouraged when work isn't always fun or when they don't always feel motivated and they may end up quitting 
Um, and so that's another danger. So I, I think it's important to note that uh, neuroscience shows your interests can develop over time. So if you are not sure what your interests are, then that's okay because you can develop them. It, it kind of relieves the pressure. You don't have to say, oh, well, I've got to find my passion and then work in that or I'm going to be miserable. You can say, well, I can get a job. I can do what I have to do. I can get through college, but I can just learn and explore. And as I learn more about certain things, maybe I'll develop an interest in that area. That's actually how our brains work. Um, personal anecdote, I was, a, I was the person that had a plan in high school. And when I went into college, this was my degree. This is what I was going to do when I graduated. I had my four-year plan in college, my five-year plan after college, and this is how I'm going to change the world. Um, well, and and there were a lot of people like that at the the college that I attended. And then there were some other people who they came in and they didn't know what they wanted to do. They were undeclared in their major. And instead of that being an opportunity of like, oh, I'm going to just learn and discover my interests, it was kind of looked down on or like you felt sorry for them. And there was a sense of panic in their eyes like, oh, I'm a freshman. You're a freshman. What are you going to major in? Um, I'm undeclared. Like, I don't know. Um, well, funny story. I a, a couple semesters in or a, a few semesters in in my sophomore year, I realized that the major I was pursuing wasn't really my passion. It was not as fun as I thought it would be. That endless motivation I thought I would have, um, it wasn't, it it was not endless. <laughs> I was unmotivated and I was like, I think I should have majored in something else. Um, but there was a problem because I couldn't switch at that point. Um, and I, it kind of did cause a crisis of identity and I had to work through that. Whereas other people who maybe didn't have a plan when they went in, they were able to just truly organically discover what they were interested in as they began learning and working. So if you do have a job that you're not, you know, super passionate about or you don't know what your passion is, be encouraged. You don't have to know what it is right away. And that's not, that's not actually uh, the key to being happy at work. Um, and another another thing I want to point out, too, let's say you do know what you're passionate about. Um, but it's not related to your job or you don't have a job in that field. That's okay. It doesn't mean that your passion is invalid because I really um, have a problem with this idea in our modern society that we have to make money for our interests to be valid. You know, that idea of find out what you love to do and make money at it. You know, that's great. And that works out for some people. And if that works out for you, then, well, that's awesome. But let's say that your hobby isn't what you do for a living. Your hobby isn't what pays the bills, um, but it's still what you're most passionate about. It's still maybe what you feel most yourself participating in. It's not invalid. And we have this idea in our workist society in America that something has to make money for it to be really valued as work or as a calling or as a vocation. And that's just not true. Maybe maybe you feel really called to volunteer in a specific area, but you're not making money um, in that field of charitable work. And so you think, well, it's not as valuable, but that's not the case. It is. So let's go on to talk about our jobs. And let's say you're not necessarily working in a field that you are passionate about. Does that mean that you can't be happy at work? Because if so, that would be that would be pretty bad because happiness or at least job satisfaction, um, that is a, an important factor in happiness overall. Well, thankfully, we're going to look at somebody who specializes in what it takes to be happy in life. Um, he's a social scientist named Arthur Brooks. 
Um, he has a series in The Atlantic. I'm pulling a lot from The Atlantic, but they've covered this issue a lot. Um, he has a series on how to build a life where he discusses just kind of secrets to happiness overall. And so, of course, he has a few articles on the secrets to happiness at work. Um, and I'm just going to quote from him here because this really sums up this idea of how you can find meaning no matter what your job is. To be happy at work, you don't have to hold a fascinating job that represents the pinnacle of your educational achievement or the most prestigious use of your potential. And you don't have to make a lot of money. What matters is not so much the what of a job, but the who and the why. Job satisfaction comes from people, values, and a sense of accomplishment. So let's break that down a little bit. Um, He says, for real satisfaction, you need to pursue intrinsic goals rather than extrinsic or external goals. And he mentions two in particular. The first is earned success. So that's the idea of, you know, when you do, you do hard work and then you feel accomplished afterward. And especially when you're recognized for it. So if you are in a cultural uh, work environment that recognizes and acknowledges uh, good work, that's a key to feeling uh, satisfied at work. And I think we can all identify with this. There are times when we were kids and we had to do chores or even a project in school or a work project that it wasn't really something that we enjoyed every moment of. But afterward, when we looked at everything that we did and how well it turned out, there's a big sense of accomplishment there. And so that's actually one of the biggest indicators to whether or not a person is satisfied at, at their job is whether or not they can tap into that idea of accomplishment or earned success. The second intrinsic goal that provides people job satisfaction is the idea of service to others, the sense that your job is making the world a better place. Um, and this does not mean that you have to work at a nonprofit or that you have to work in you know, a, a charitable type industry. Really, it's more about your attitude. Um, and this is something that Brooks talks about and that other research has found as well. It's not, it's not about what you're doing, but the attitude that you approach to it. You can look at any job and say, okay, how am I going to do a good job and serve somebody else with this? Whether I'm a janitor, whether I'm a politician, whether I'm a lawyer, whether I'm a cashier, how can I serve the people that I'm interacting with? How can I serve my coworkers and do my part, you know, whatever it is in this job that I'm currently holding to, you know, have an outlook that focuses more on others than on myself and just how much money I'm making or my rewards, my own personal gain, my own personal climb up the corporate ladder. Um, And so it's interesting, though, because those intrinsic motivations are really, you know, there's the the idea of earned success and being kind of proud of the job that you've done, um, but also the relationships, the relational aspect of who we're interacting with when we're working and who do we have a concept that we are serving Um, And I think that's interesting. And so as we close this episode, I want to talk about the importance of relationships and happiness in general. Um, And that, you know, we're not going to get too much into that research right now, but we will have other episodes on that topic. Because when you get into the research of people who are happy, it really is people who do have those solid relationships in their lives. They have a sense of community, not just connectedness which we hear a lot about today with social media being so prevalent, Um, not just being connected or knowing a lot of people, but true community, having real relationships with your family or a few close friends, people that really know you um, and that sense of belonging. That is a big key to happiness overall. So it's really not a surprise that that same idea of relationship or, you know, serving someone else, caring about someone else in the, the work framework 
um, is at the heart of what makes people happy when they're at their jobs. Um, And so these are facts that hold true regardless of your beliefs. But as a Christian, I do think it's fascinating that these fundamental truths about what make people happy at their jobs are also found in the Bible, which a lot of people might not realize. Um, So first of all, the idea of relationships um, being a a major key to happiness overall and at work, this is something that Jesus talks about. He says the most important commands are not about uh, being perfect or you know, doing some so many moral deeds or so many good deeds every day, or even about making as much money as you can so you can give as much money um, to God as possible. But he says the two most important commands are loving God and loving others. Um, and he says everything else, you know, rests upon doing these things. Those are the most important things that we are supposed to do according to the Bible. Um, there's also other parts in the Bible where um workers are addressed specifically even servants back um, in the first century uh, slaves in the Roman world are specifically addressed in the Bible told that whatever they are doing they're supposed to think about their work not as for their masters but as for the Lord and and that might be odd to some people um, and and understanding biblical context around those commands is is really key but in short, it, it gave people hope at the time, people who maybe they weren't able to immediately escape their employment or their service situation um, and maybe thinking like there's nothing, I'm not doing anything important. I'm just, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole here um, is in far, insofar as how society looks at me. And, and this was actually giving those people meaning in what they were doing, saying, no, you're not working for your human masters. You're working for the Lord, going back to the idea of loving God and loving others. And so I think that speaks to now. A lot of people might think, well, if I don't have this specific dream job or this important position, what I'm doing isn't as important. But it goes back to that idea of accomplishment. And so for Christians, no matter what you're doing, if you can recognize that what you're doing is a service to God and a service to others, you can feel proud of that work or regardless of your belief system, if you can kind of see the higher purpose in what you're doing and, and take it out of yourself and, and realize that you're doing it for somebody else, um, then that's a big key to having job satisfaction. Uh, so the Bible does not teach, contrary to popular belief, that money is evil. But it does talk about, you know, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, so we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be our main goal, Um or our idol to make as much money as possible. Obviously, we need to provide for ourselves and making money isn't a bad thing. But if we get to a point where we're too attached to our material goods to be able to help others with them, that's a problem. So that goes back to the whole idea of being paid for what we do um, in American culture, being what ascribes it value. I think that's a problem because if we think that something that we do or that we're passionate about or even what we feel is our calling is only valuable if we're getting paid to do it, that's antithetical to what we know about human nature. That's antithetical to what the Bible teaches. Um, and and it's actually, it, according to research and what we've seen, it's not what makes people happy at work. What makes people happy, um, what you need to be satisfied at work is that intrinsic motivation of the idea of earned success, of serving other people, the idea that your interests can develop over time. And if you're passionate about something, but you're not getting paid to do it, it's just a hobby or something you do in your off time, it's no less valuable just because you're not getting paid for it. 
That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in reading any of these articles that I've mentioned or diving into the research more, we're going to be posting all the links that I have mentioned in the accompanying blog post for this episode. And then I think that it's something we'll probably will revisit in the future. So stay tuned to more episodes of the Know Why podcast. Again, I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. 